Who hasn't finished taking down their Christmas decorations? Get them up. Don't be ashamed. Get them up. Get them up. But I want to know, what are you going to, are you going to say in the summer that they're, they're like sunbeams, those icicles? Just leave them around. There's some unfinished business to do. But what I really want to refer to about unfinished business, and I thank you for approaching Christmas Eve as an opportunity to reach people who have no church home, people who haven't been introduced to Jesus Christ. There's really not much value in just inviting friends and neighbors and family members that, you know, that have churches that are Christians. Leave them alone. Let's, let's influence this community, this culture, by reaching those people who haven't heard, don't know, have no place to be taught. And so connection with that is I want to remind you to continue your communication with those people. Don't let it be one invitation to one service. Reach them. Bring them. Bring them with you. Spend some time with them. Tell your story. Today we turn to a new series of messages called Experiencing the Presence of God. And the art for the, this series, anybody know where that is? Any of you get married there? I knew you did. Several of you have been married there. This is uh, in northern Greenville County, if you don't know. It's the Greenville YMCA camp. And uh, this shot is taken by a a local photographer named Kevin Huck. Beautiful series, though. The purpose of this series is that we would... Each learn how to experience God personally, tangibly, palpably, truly. Many of us think that we're Christians. I mean, that's a, a right of a southerner, isn't it? And we even accept the facts of Jesus' life death, and resurrection. Perhaps you have walked an aisle. You may have been baptized. But have you had an encounter with Jesus Christ that changes, that regenerates you? That's being born again. I'm afraid that in the American church, Part of the gospel is being preached as the whole. And it's pray a prayer, get baptized, boom, you're born again. You're saved. No. You must have an experience with God's Spirit that changes you. Do you hear God speak? Do you hear God speak? Do you experience his presence? The psalmist did. If you haven't taken out your outline, you can now. I listen carefully to what God the Lord is saying. For he speaks peace to his faithful people. 
Does he speak to you? You see, God's people portrayed in the Old Testament and the New Testament throughout the Bible communicated with God personally. And so can you. Would you like to? Would you like to encounter God individually, practically, specifically? Not just you sit and hear a message, but God addresses you specifically. Jesus said in John 10, my sheep hear my voice. So today we'll reflect on the importance of prayer to enable us to encounter God. And I'll teach this lesson from Ephesians chapter 1. And I'll, I'll just deal with 15 through 20. But actually 15 through 23 is only one sentence in Greek. Paul wrote this letter to the church at Ephesus. He wrote it about 60 AD from prison in Rome. And he wrote it to the members of a church that he founded 10 years earlier on his first mission trip. His desire for these people who he loved and lived among for about three years, three and a half years on his second missionary journey was that they would understand and appreciate the benefits and the blessings they had received through Jesus Christ. And those are listed in verses 3 through 14 of Ephesians 1. And that also is one sentence in Greek. You know what I'm talking about? Benefits and blessings. What benefits and blessings have you received from Jesus Christ? Shout them. No, no. All of you, shout them. Come on, let me hear them. So I can see all the way to the back. I'm going to have to start calling names. What benefit or blessing is important to you that you've received from Christ? Let me hear it. What about over here, the silent bunch? What have y'all received? What you've received from Jesus Christ should be on the tip of your tongue. And it should guide you throughout your days, through every situation and circumstance. These blessings that are listed in 3 through 14 include union with Christ, being loved by God, being chosen, adopted, freed, forgiven, gifted of the Holy Spirit, and anticipating an eternal inheritance. Paul wanted these people to know who they were in Jesus Christ and what they had received so that they could live confidently in a fallen and dangerous world. You think that's important today? Speaking with a member of the church the other night, I realized that the the very things that I preach from the Scripture as biblical morality according to this friend, would cause me to be persecuted of a hate crime in Canada. And it may not be long before it is here. If we have another administration like the one we have now, you can forget First Amendment right to worship and freedom, spiritual freedom. You can forget it. 
I think they will take our tax-exempt status if we hold certain positions. We've already been threatened about it. I'm not, I'm not a muckraker. I, I don't even read all these conspiracy things. I don't believe in that. I don't read all these books and stuff. I'm just looking at the culture. I'm listening to the administration and the Supreme Court speak. You know, I don't think prayer in schools leads to people, more people being born again. But the fact that it's been banned is astounding. You see what I'm saying? I don't think it means you're Christian because you're in Christian school or, you're in, or people pray at a football game. I don't believe it. But the fact that it's banned is astounding. It's startling. We need to wake up. We must wake up. I want us to know who God is. I want us to know, to grasp who we are. I want us to understand what God has given us so that we can stop being controlled and fashioned by this culture. And instead, we can start reshaping it. How much influence are you exercising? With your acquaintances. See, in America, I don't believe 65% of Americans are Christians. You, know, you already know that. Look at the morality. But you know what's happened? Even those of us that are Christians, we don't want to be hassled, so we've grown silent. I'm not talking about be strident and be militant and be aggressive. But for goodness sakes, why would you be silent? Experiencing God through prayer is a particular expectation for believers. Christians can expect to experience God personally through prayer in ways that are particular and specific to each of you. I'm not talking about just quoting the Bible. I'm talking about you. In your situation, in your circumstance, in your life. As Paul begins his prayer, he reveals who has inherited these blessings in Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus... And your love for God's people everywhere. I have not stopped thanking God for you. Now there are two things in this verse that indicate the genuineness of salvation. The first is faith in Jesus as Lord. And love for other Christians. The New Testament does not separate Jesus as Savior from Jesus as Lord. Lord means master, ruler. He is either both or he is neither. Lord is Jesus' identity. It's like you saying, well, I'm going to invite Perry the pastor over to my house 
But I don't want Perry, the husband of Leanne, to come. I don't want Perry, the father of Evan and Aubrey, to show up. And you say, well, that's ridiculous. So is separating Jesus the Savior from Jesus the Lord. He is who he is. If you declare Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. That's what it says, right? You pray to prayer. Romans 10, 9 is what it is. You're missing the emphasis. If you confess Jesus as Lord, you will be saved. But that can only happen truly by the Holy Spirit giving you new birth. You understand that? 1 Corinthians 12, 3. You can't just humanly say, oh, Jesus is my Lord. If you humanly say it, you're not still born again. You say Jesus is Lord, meaning he is my Lord, by the Holy Spirit. Well, you just, you just put a question mark over the way the gospel's preached a lot in this country. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. We're not saved by a prayer. A prayer is a work. We're saved by grace, which is a work of God, not by a prayer, which is a work of man. Saved by grace through faith so no one can boast. True faith isn't based on merely saying Jesus is Lord. It's based on Jesus becoming our Lord, which means a change in relationship with Him. And the other evidence of salvation is loving other believers. Experiencing the love of Jesus enables us to love others, all others, indiscriminately, regardless of personality or likability, 1 John 3, 14. I've been accepted with my warts and weaknesses. And if I understand what it is for God to accept me, know me fully and accept me completely, how could I reject someone else? First John 5, 1 says we can't love Jesus without loving those he loves. So here's a question. Do you possess, which means display, faith in Jesus as Lord? And do you have love for his people? I know these things, see, these things aren't naturally human. This is a change in nature. Prejudice, bigotry, those are, those are natural because they're about pride and wanting to be above and wanting to be ahead. But if you know Jesus as your Lord, if you love his people, you can expect God to speak to you. Do y'all believe that? How does that happen? Well, it occurs through the Holy Spirit. Who has the Holy Spirit? Y'all know every 
true believer has the Holy Spirit? Do you have the Holy Spirit? I don't, I don't say this to criticize or scold. I say this to give us awareness for where we are. During the Last Supper with his disciples, Jesus, which is the night he was arrested, Jesus spoke about this Holy Spirit. John 14, go there. Last of the Gospels. John 14, 16. Remember, he's talking to these men. He will be arrested just hours hence. Through the night he'll be tried. He'll be crucified the next morning at dawn. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. Uh, the, The Greek word that's translated advocate is paraclete. And it literally means one who comes alongside. It could also be um, applied as one who, who defends, who comforts, who pleads your case. In some translations, it appears not as advocate, but as comforter or encourager or even counselor. Who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. When was the Holy Spirit within these men? Y'all know when it happened? Pentecost. Pentecost. Which was 50 days hence. Right now, ask God to show you, is the Spirit of God within me? You are not born again, saved, regenerated, Christian, headed for heaven. All those are synonymous terms. If you don't possess the Spirit of God within you now. Now, if you say, I, you know what, you're scaring me to death, I don't think so then call upon the name of the Lord, the name of the Lord, and you shall be saved. See, in that call, there's a surrender. You hear that? In that call, there's a surrender. It's not this prayer, God, give me a ticket into heaven and let me live like hell on earth. mm It's a surrender of life and self to Christ. Experiencing God through prayer promotes intimacy with Him. God sacrificed His own Son so He could pursue intimacy with you. God's not at some distance and He's just, you know... Your your sins come in on an invoice and he stamps them paid. That's not the way it works. He's not aloof. He's not distant. He crucified, he killed, he sacrificed his own son to draw you close. Verse 16b, which is just the latter part of 16 in Ephesians 1. 
I pray for you continually, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. Now, you know, when you read the Scripture, it's sometimes helpful to say, okay, I see what he said, but what didn't he say? What didn't he say? Now, he's praying for these people that he knows well. He loves them. He lived among them. They're living in a hard time, an insecure time. They're facing dangers and oppression. The religious leaders and the Roman rulers are, are, are threatening to them. But he didn't pray about that. And he, he, he has another prayer in Colossians 1, and he basically does the same thing. He says exact, basically the same thing to the people in Colossians. They experienced insecurity and anxiety, as people do, but even worse in their culture. They faced oppression and persecution. And, and as humans, they, they suffered illness and death. But look what he doesn't pray for. He doesn't pray for personal comfort or prosperity or help or protection or even provision. Strike you as odd? Because that's mostly what we pray for. Doesn't mean it's wrong to ask for those things. I mean, in the Lord's Prayer, which I'll deal with in this series... You know, he says, give me my daily bread and deliver me from the evil one. And he asks some things that are personal in nature. But the fact that Paul doesn't here and in Colossians and even in Philippians shows us that the, the physical life and peaceful circumstances and material possessions aren't what's most important. He, he didn't pray for any of those people, for a people who lived in a very insecure time. He didn't pray for their well-being other than that they would know God better. Now this knowledge, again, this is a Greek word, gnosko. It refers to experiential understanding. Not intellectual awareness. Not cognitive understanding. Not the acceptance of facts or information about God. Knowing in the New Testament conveys the thought of intimate connection, relationship, union. It's the same word that would compare a husband and wife in their knowledge of each other. It indicates ongoing personal relationship. See, you, you experientially and relationally know your spouse. You intellectually know your favorite athlete or entertainer. See the difference? 
So Paul prays for knowledge of God, which results from receiving spiritual wisdom and insight from the Holy Spirit. This knowledge is gained through an encounter with God's truth. Illuminated and empowered by the Holy Spirit. So that when you experience it, it increases your intimacy with God. Is that confusing? So what I'm saying is sometimes you'll sit in here. You'll go to Bible study. You'll read the scripture. You'll be unchanged. I'm talking even about me. Well, I wonder if you'd say that about David. Yes, I'll say it about David too. Because the truth that changes you is that that's illuminated by God's Spirit. It alters you. It increases your intimacy, your grasp of God. And you can't grasp God without change. Here's another verse, another passage. 1 Corinthians 2. Acts, Roman, Corinthians. Acts, Romans, Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 2, 9. Okay, I want y'all to understand this. This is a little bit of the theology of the Holy Spirit. It's not on the outline. It's not even cited there. And begin at verse 9. This is what the scriptures mean when they say, No eye has seen or ear has heard and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. That's a quote from Isaiah 64. But it was to us that God revealed these things by his spirit. For his spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. But the deep secrets here is talking about being born again. He's talking about those deep secrets. No one can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit. And no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. And we have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit. So we can know the wonderful things God has freely given us. Otherwise, you can't. You can cognitively. Informationally, you can't experientially. See the difference? You got the difference, right? When we tell you these things, we do not use words that come from human wisdom. Instead, we speak words given to us by the Spirit, using the Spirit's words to explain spiritual truths. But people who aren't spiritual, you know who those people are? They're people who aren't born again. They have a physical life. They don't have a spiritual life. They might go to church. They may have a Bible. You see what I'm saying? But they're not spiritual because they've not received the Spirit through being born again. But people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. You wonder why God's truth just flows over you and it doesn't change you at all? 
you may not have the Spirit. It all sounds foolishness to them and they can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. God's Spirit reveals God's truth. Also His nature to us so we can know Him. Through this experience of truth, God reveals Himself. But do you know what happens while God's revealing Himself? Do y'all know? That's right. You know this one, Ashley. Here it comes. When God reveals himself, he shows you yourself. Y'all know what I'm talking about? When God reveals himself, he shows you yourself. You remember Isaiah when he encountered God? Remember what he said? Seeing this wonderful vision of God. You know what he said? Who knows? I'm undone. Woe is me. He said, first, I'm undone. Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips, and I have seen the Lord God Almighty, the Lord of hosts. Has that happened to you? It may not be exactly like Isaiah's. But when God shows himself, he reveals you. Not fully, but you ever gone into prayer and you're mad with somebody? You know what I'm talking about? They did this and they did this and God wants you to just do something, wants you to fix them, wants you to change them. And before you get through, he goes, uh, and here you are. That ever happened? Well, come up here and tell us all about it. But see, God's about showing you you himself so he can change you. Prayer isn't about you changing God. Prayer is about God changing you. And you're just putting yourself in a posture to hear. And he shows you, doesn't he? And a lot of times you go in there. I mean, come on. We go in, we're arrogant, we're mad, we're defiant. We want God to really just smote somebody. Instead of him smiting, he's showing you. Doesn't always feel too good, does it? It's painful to be shown ourselves. But you know what? Who knows you completely? Does Chris know you completely inside and out? Leanne and I have been married something less than 100 years, but she doesn't, she, she doesn't know me completely, 28 years actually, but she doesn't, you know what I'm saying? God's Spirit knows me completely. God's Spirit knows me completely. In prayer, God shows us ourselves but, but related to that is he, he reveals some false beliefs we have about life. About who we are. About our identities. About, about the world in which we live. 
about what's right, what's wrong, what's really true, what's not true. He shows us that in in prayer if we want to hear. And when he reveals the truth, what he does is he corrects what's false. Now the problem is some of us have some lies, some misbeliefs that were planted in us when we were very young children. And they are controlling our thinking, our feeling, our acting today. And you know what? You can read Bible verses, you can even pray, and it will not change. When you experience God's truth, what happens? It changes. It changes. It changes. You say, I want some of that. Do you? You want some of that? It takes courage and it takes effort. It doesn't, it doesn't come easily. It takes time, it takes effort, it takes courage. You know, this transformation prayer, it's being taught Friday night and Saturday. I urge you to come. Just to begin to see. I mean, I don't, I'm not saying that we figured out something that God doesn't know. We're just trying to learn how to cooperate with God so we get more of His Spirit working a change in us. We're just trying to put ourselves in a posture where healing can happen. Does that make sense? We don't control God. And sometimes God heals you just by saying, Charlie Pruitt, I'm changing that. But it doesn't happen every week. Sometimes it happens. Sometimes it happens when you read this word. Sometimes it happens. So we want to figure out how can we put ourselves before God so it can happen more often. That's all we're doing. Does that make sense? Do you want to be changed? Do you have the courage to take the step? You know what? I wish I believed that gospel of pray this prayer, get baptized yourself. I wish I believed that. I really wish I believed that. Mm, There's too much in the scripture that says when you're born again, you're different. You're changed. You're not the same. You're not perfected practically yet, but you're improving from that moment on. Do you want to know God deeply? Do you want to know Him intimately? How much time do you spend before God in solitude and silence? Are you willing to take some steps to learn? I mean, it's Friday and Saturday, but then we spend some more weeks Learning, learning how to hear from God, learning how to help each other hear from God. What, what kind of church would we be if we knew how to hear from God and how to help each other? What would be possible? Listen, it's awful hard to live a human life and hope we get into heaven. Experiencing God through prayer provides confidence. Oh, I know, I'm only halfway through. And y'all know it. Every time he's been gone a while, he's going to preach long. That's why some of y'all aren't here today. Verse 18. In Ephesians 1. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light. 
so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called. His holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. That's who you are. In our culture, we think of our hearts as as our feelings and emotion. Unfortunately, in our culture, we follow that first. Feelings. Whether they're conformed to God's truth or not. But biblically, in Hebrew and Greek thought, the heart, Greek is cardia, is the control center of the entire self. It's the location of our convictions and our core commitments, our deepest loves, our most most foundational hopes. And those are the things that control our feelings, our thinking, our behavior. So having your heart flooded with light means to have truth penetrate and grip us so deeply that it changes us. You know what I'm talking about? Kim, you know what I'm talking about? That is transformation. That's Romans 12 too. See, let me give you an example. We know intellectually God is holy. But it doesn't have much influence on us, does it? We still lie, cheat, steal, decide that we're going to live immorally. Because we haven't experienced the holiness of God. Where we are in his presence and we see that holiness. Our hearts are flooded with truth. Because when we see God's holiness, we see our sinfulness. And we say, I'm not going back there. You understand? I'm not going back there. I mean, some of us have had lives that were whatever. And we just had children. And we said, I'm not living like that anymore because I've got this child. That I don't, I don't want to, this child to see me like this, do this, understand this. You know what I'm saying? Now, I'm talking about God's spirit shows you his holiness. And you say, I'm not going back there. And we flee sinful attitudes and behaviors because it would dishonor the holiness of God who we love and adore. So Paul asked his spirit to enable people to have a confident hope of all the past, present, and future benefits that they received when they believed in Christ as Lord, that they would become real in their lives. Because you see, if something is real in your life, it changes the way you live. Do you have a confident hope of all you've received in Jesus Christ? Does the fact that you're forgiven, you're freed, you're a child of God, you're headed for heaven, does that control the way you live? If not, you haven't been flooded with light about those issues. You haven't experienced those truths spiritually. You know what it feels like? Somebody invites you into something that you know is wrong. And if you've been flooded with light, you say, that, nope, that is not me. I'm not going there. You see what I'm saying? But how often do we avoid evil because we might get caught? We're not talking about that. 
We're talking about, I have seen God, the Lord of hosts, and I'm different. I won't, I got, I've got no appetite for that evil. You see, do you understand what I'm saying? But in our, in our Christian culture still, unfortunately, we live based on outward circumstances. Again, we just go to church occasionally and we believe we have a card that will let us through the gate into heaven at the end. That's not Christianity. Christianity is being completely reborn. But in our culture, we live directed by our own opinions, our own desires, and God gets to make a suggestion or two that we decide whether we follow. That's not, that's not faith. It's human faith. It's not spiritual faith. This verse says, you are God's holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. You like the sound of that? First, you know that? God's glorious people. Don, you know that? His rich inheritance. That's what God said about you. But when you, when you hear that, you think, I got to be different. That's the point. Live like, you, like who you are. Live like who you are. Live like who you are. There's a Hebrew word, segula. And you know, what, you know what it means? It means treasured possession. I tell Leanne sometimes she's my segula. She's my treasured possession. What if you knew that you were God's treasured possession? Would it make any difference in the way you live? Would it? Completely transforming. Completely transforming. Does your life reflect that awareness? Experiencing God through prayer presents strength for life. All right, I'm going to go fast. Don't, you stay in your seats. Lock the doors. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Paul prayed that these people would be, and us, he's praying through them to us, be given a divine awareness of the great power they possessed by faith in Christ as Lord. The word power is the Greek dunamis. Obviously, we get dynamite from that. And it means miraculous power, force, or strength. In fact, the word, the word dunamis can actually mean a miracle, a mighty, wonderful work. That's what you are. You're a mighty, wonderful work. A miracle. Do you know that? This energizing force of the Spirit enables believers to live for the Lord Jesus. Jesus' disciples received it at Pentecost. We receive it when we're born again. This is me talking. So I'm over here. Remember, y'all get to discount this. 
I don't believe in a second blessing. I believe a lot of people didn't get the first one. A lot of people walked an aisle, prayed a prayer, but they weren't born again. So then something happened later that energized them. And the only explanation they have is it must be a second work of the Spirit. No, you missed the first one. How much power do you possess? You possess the same mighty power that raised Jesus from the dead and delivered him into the heavenly realms. You. Keith Green, some of y'all, only a few of y'all are old enough to remember Keith Green like I do. He was a Christian vocalist and musician. He had a song in a line, I'm paraphrasing it, said, and Jesus was raised from the dead and you can't even get out of bed. You, you have the power, if you're a believer in Christ, to deny yourself, to do God's will, to start a devotional life, to share your faith, to stop sinning, to give generously, to abandon addictions, to serve unselfishly, even to suffer without complaining. For Christ's sake. You just have to exercise it. God can accomplish in you and through you. Everything he desires. All that he's planned. Everything he purposes. You know what you have to do? Hear and obey. What does that mean for us? Y'all asking that? No, you're asking, when's he going to let us go? What does that mean for us? Here's what it means. It means no more excuses. Did y'all hear that over here? It means no more, what? No more excuses. No more excuses. About what we can't do. Really, what we won't do because it's inconvenient or uncomfortable. What we can't do because we're weak or afraid. What's God saying to you? What's He calling you to? Stop making excuses. Start obeying. Take a step. You know, we pray every Sunday morning at 8.15. There's a cluster of us. But you know what? Who thinks this nation needs revival? I'm not talking about a meeting where a lot of people sing. I'm talking about a work of the Spirit. When revival strikes, it changes the morality of the community. You can have a big meeting attended by thousands and you just sang. When the Holy Spirit brings revival, it changes people to such a degree it changes the community. No revival in the history of the world occurred without being preceded by prayer. You want God to change this nation? How much are you praying? We're here at 8.15. There are other times to pray. There are other ways. But we join here. We pray for this church. We pray for the day's message. We pray for the worship, music. We pray for the community, the country. We pray for the world. I invite you. 
God's spirit gets loose in here. It won't matter what happens in the service. It'll happen. It'll matter what we do before God in prayer. Soul training this week. Let me urge you. Ask God daily, what do you want me to know? Every day. What do you want me to know? You can purchase one of those devotional books. They're in the bookstore now or at the peanut cart. Start a devotional life. Sign up for TPM training. Come to membership class and small group and service today. Take a step. Father God, stir us up and send us out. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. There will be counselors here at the front if you want to speak with someone.